It was just a few days before when they were thinking to themselves, we are living the dream. Uh, They were thinking to themselves, we've got it made. I'm pretty sure they were thinking, how did we get so lucky? How did we get to this place? How did we end up falling into all of this? It seemed like things couldn't be better, yet they full-heartedly believed the best was still yet to come. Jesus was being cheered for by the crowds as he strolled into Jerusalem as the king apparent. I can just see those disciples of Jesus as they were caught up in the moment of it all. Their eyes gleaming as they looked at each other out of the corner of their eyes thinking, is this real life? Is this for real? They were riding the proverbial coattails of a king. The people seemed eager to crown. And this made them big deals, or at least they thought, because they were part of Jesus' inner circle. They were Peter, James, and John, and then there were other disciples like Nathaniel and Thomas. They felt the rush, all of them. They felt the rush as people not only recognized Jesus, but I imagine they felt the rush as people also recognized them. I'm sure that they thought they heard people in the crowd that day also call out their name along with Jesus' name. Oh, look, there's Peter. Oh, there's James and John. That's Jesus' people. That's, That's his inner circle right there. They were fishermen in Galilee, and the crowds were cheering, and the energy was at fever's pitch. The disciples could feel the excitement and the anticipation rising up within them with every palm branch they felt beneath their feet. Following Jesus was about to pay off. For the disciples, their ship was finally about to come in. It was preparing to dock in their harbor. This is what they'd been waiting for. This is what they had anticipated from the very beginning. They were on their way to the coronation of a king. That king was Jesus. He was their friend. He was their rabbi. He was the one they believed to be the Messiah. Life couldn't have been better in that moment on that day. And that day was Sunday. But oh, how quickly things can change. And for the disciples, their whole world would change in a matter of just a few days. Everything for them is about to change, and they don't even know it. They can't see it. They've not anticipated it. The ground is about to shift beneath their feet, and the change of events is going to be so fierce, so sudden, it's going to knock the breath out of them. It's going to leave them disoriented. How could the world change in such a drastic way in a matter of days? That's what they're gonna be asking. How could everything change and they not see it coming? That's what they're gonna be asking. Everything was about to change and it was gonna catch them by complete surprise. Has that ever happened to you? I've got a feeling that it has. I've got a feeling that it's happened to many of us in just the past few weeks. It certainly happened to Jesus' first disciples one day. And that day when everything changed, that day when everything shifted beneath their feet and they had no idea it was coming, that day was Friday. On Sunday, they thought they were going to the coronation of a friend. They had no idea that by Friday morning at 9 a.m. that they would be at that friend, not his coronation, but they would be at that friend's crucifixion. They had no idea. They had no idea when they came into town on Sunday with hopes and dreams of a crown 
They had no idea that by Friday, their reality would end with a cross. They anticipated a crown. There was no way they saw a cross in the horizon. This is not what they expected. This is not what they planned for. This is not what they wanted. Oh, how quickly things can change. That's the difference that five days can make. For them, it felt like whiplash. On Sunday, the crowds were cheering, crown him, crown him. On Friday, they were cheering, crucify him, crucify him. At 9 a.m., as the sounds of nails being driven into the hands and the feet of Jesus rang out, it was just not the sound of hammer hitting against nails. It was the sound of their hopes and dreams dying. It was the sound of the disciples' shattered expectations. It was the sound of their unanswered questions and all of their disillusionment. It was the sound of confusion. It was the sound of anger. It was the sound of grief. It was the sound of this is not the way we thought it would turn out. He was supposed to be wearing a crown of gold not a crown of thorns. And that day, beginning at 9 a.m. on Friday, they watched Jesus struggle to breathe. They watched him struggling to get air into the deepest part of his lungs. He was bruised. He was bloody. It wasn't supposed to be this way. They didn't see this coming. It was supposed to be a crown, not a cross. But there's Jesus suffocating in front of their very eyes. Mark 15 says that at a little bit around 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Oh, the difference a few days can make. At a little past three on Friday, they walked away from Golgotha traumatized shaken, in shock, fearful that death would soon knock on their door. So what did they do? Maybe this sounds familiar. So they isolated themselves. They quarantined themselves behind locked doors without faith and without hope, without a leader, without a Messiah, staring an uncertain future in the face. These were the days leading up to the first Easter. These were the emotions surrounding the first Easter. For the disciples, they had plans, they had hopes, and nothing had turned out as they wanted them to be. Just a few weeks ago, we had plans, didn't we? Just a few weeks ago, we had plans for vacations, we had plans for proms and graduations and for sporting events and business trips. and We had plans. We expected things just to keep on going the way they were going, on the trajectory that we were on. For many, things were good until things changed. For all of us, things felt certain until they didn't feel certain any longer. Things felt certain until the ground shifted beneath our feet. And now we, like the disciples, are isolated in our homes. It's Easter Sunday. 
and churches are empty. And here we are in our homes for the first time on Easter with questions about when will things change? Questions about when will things get better? The fear and the anxiety of this moment in this season, they're real. People's lives have been upended, some more than others. Maybe your life has been upended. This is our first Easter like this in our lifetime. And maybe though for the first time, this first Easter like this will help us connect, help us grasp with a better understanding what the emotions were like around that very first Easter. Back to the disciples. Friday evening through Saturday night, they grieved. I imagine they grieved like no other time that they'd ever grieved in their entire life. Their world had been turned upside down. Their friend was dead, the victim of a Roman cross. And by that Roman cross, their hopes had been decimated. Their future had been devastated. And when they thought of that Roman cross, it represented all that they had lost. Their hope, their future, their friend. The one that they had hoped and believed was the Messiah. In their minds, that Roman cross would be a permanent reminder of hate, a permanent reminder of loss, a permanent reminder of death. But did I mention, oh, the difference a few days can make. In just a few days, the cross would be thought of in an entirely different way by the disciples of Jesus. In just a few days, the cross is going to be thought of as a sign of hope and love. In just a few days, when the disciples would think about the cross, they're not going to think about what they lost, but they're going to begin to think about what they gained. When they think about the cross in just a few days, they're not going to think about it through the eyes and through the heart of grief, but they're going to think about it with feelings of gratitude and awe. When they think about the cross in a few days, they're going to be inspired by it, not decimated by it. And so I want you to think for just a moment. Just think about this. How did or how does the greatest torture device in the history of the world, how does the greatest torture device in the history of the world become the greatest symbol of hope and love in the world? How does a device intended to instill fear all of a sudden begin to inspire faith? How does a device that was intended to bring shame all of a sudden bring confidence? How does something invented to kill all of a sudden bring a sense of new life to so many people? How is that possible? For those disciples, what could possibly make that Friday, which was the worst Friday, the worst day of their life, what could possibly turn that day when their faith and hope and dreams lay shattered on a bloody ground in front of a cross that bore the body of their best friend? What could turn that type of day, that type of event, that type of Friday into a day that we now refer to as Good Friday? What could possibly have changed that would make people think of the cross 
an entirely different way. What could do that? I think the answer must be, I think the answer has to be, the only explanation for why the cross went from what it was on Friday afternoon to how we think of it today, the only explanation can be the resurrection. On Friday, think about this, on Friday, the cross was a symbol of despair, hate, and death. But on Sunday, the cross became a symbol of hope, love, and life. On Friday, the disciples were fearful and hopeless. On Sunday, they were fearless and hopeful. On Friday, there were tears of grief. On Sunday, there were tears of joy. On Friday, all they could see were the ashes, but on Sunday, all they could see was the beauty. On Friday, only despair, but on Sunday, it was hope. The cross was a symbol of hate on Friday, but on Sunday, it became a symbol of love. On Friday, the cross was synonymous with death, but by the end of the day on Sunday, the cross was synonymous with life. Oh, the difference that three days can make. Only Easter can turn the worst Friday into a good Friday. That's why Easter trumps all Christian holidays. You know me, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But if you know me, you know that I love Christmas. I can get behind Christmas any time of the year. But Easter trumps Christmas. Because without Easter at Christmas, all we have is just the birthday of a really nice guy from the Middle East. Without Easter, that Friday when Jesus died is just another Friday when a whole bunch of other people died. It's only because of Easter that we care about the birth of Jesus. It's only because of Easter that we care about the life and the teachings of Jesus. And it's only because of Easter do we care about the death of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the single greatest and most important event in all of human history. And without Easter, we are all left without hope. That's why the Apostle Paul, who was a Jesus hater until he became a Jesus follower, he was a skeptic until he became a believer. The Apostle Paul, he wrote about the resurrection. He wrote about the consequences of Easter, the practical consequences for you, the practical consequences for me in this life and also in the life to come. Paul wrote about Easter in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and this, this is what he says about Easter as it relates to hope. He says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. If this life is all there is to life, how disturbing, how miserable. If it's true that we're all just cosmic accidents, if there is no God, if there is no hope of a world to come, how disturbing, how miserable. That's not living life, that's just existing. That type of life is no life at all. And a life without hope, it's just not life. But Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15, a matter of fact, all of the New Testament, the point is that because of Easter, we can have hope. Because of Easter, you can have hope. And because of Easter, I can have hope. Hope in the darkest of days. 
Hope in the hardest of days. Hope when the bottom falls out. Hope when I lose my job. Hope when I have to lay people off. Hope in the middle of a pandemic. Hope when I get a diagnosis that I didn't want to hear. Hope when bad news just keeps on coming. That's what Easter's all about. It's about hope for you. It's about hope for me. It's about hope for the world in the worst of moments. The message of Easter is this. We find a life full of hope inside of an empty tomb. You can find life full of hope inside of an empty tomb. There was a time in my life that I found a life full of hope inside of an empty tomb. And if we ever lived at a time in history when people needed hope, it's now. Every day, it's more bad news. It's bad news in the morning. It's bad news at noontime. It's Bad news at nighttime. Death rates are rising. The economy's falling. And it, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And I just want to be honest. Let's just be honest with each other. It's all a bit unsettling. It's all a bit troubling, unnerving. Sure, you can pretend it's not real, and there's some people who are doing that. You, you can pretend as though this whole thing is made up, and there's some people doing that. But if you're able to see reality for what reality is, this whole thing, this whole season, is it's a bit unsettling. And the reason that it's unsettling is because we've been confronted with just how uncertain reality is. We've all been confronted with how uncertain tomorrow is. We can't be certain of next month. We can't be certain of next week. And now, in a very disturbing, up-close and personal way, we have all been reminded we can't even be certain about tomorrow. We've been reminded that we can't control tomorrow. We've been reminded that we can't control our own destinies. We can't control our financial destinies. We cannot control the destiny of our health. We can't control the destiny of the world. And this crisis that we're all in and that we've been in for the past few weeks that we're walking in, and, and I promise you, we're going to walk through it. But this crisis that we're in, it has surfaced our need for hope. Our need for hope in this life that extends beyond this life. And let me tell you something else this season has done. This season has exposed the shallow things that we have hung our hopes on in the past. But Easter, the first Easter, it offers us a hope that allows us to face whatever life may throw our way. And let me tell you, life can throw some really difficult things our way. Life can throw painful things your way, unexpected things your way, things unwanted and things uninvited. But Easter gives us the hope that says, I can face whatever life throws at me. Easter can give you the hope where you can say, I can face whatever life may throw at me. And not only that, Easter offers all of us the hope of the inescapable, inevitable reality of death that one day, every single one of us are gonna be forced to face. That's why Easter is the most important thing that has ever happened. That's why Easter is the most important question you can ever wrestle with. The question of what happened the first Easter, what happened that first Easter Sunday morning? That's the single most important question you will ever wrestle with. You may have questions about creation, and those are important, but not most important. 
You may have questions, and they are great questions about why do bad things happen to good people. Important question, but not the most important question. The most important, consequential, profound question that you and I will ever wrestle with is what happened on the first Easter? And that's what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, before you wrestle with anything else, start with Easter. Before you question anything else, question Easter. And this is what he says. He writes a letter to the Corinthians about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And he said, I pass on to you what was most important. So Paul, tell us, what's the most important thing we can be thinking about? What's the most important thing that we can wrestle to the ground and get settled? He said, okay, I'm going to tell you. He said, here it is. Are you ready? Do you have your Bible open? You following along? Here it is. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. That's what Paul said is the most important thing. He says the most important thing that you need to wrestle with is can you believe, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins according to the scripture? Can you believe that when Jesus hung on the cross that he hung there for you? Can you believe that there he died on the cross and then he was buried in a borrowed tomb? And then on the third day, on Sunday, the first Easter, he was raised from the dead. Paul says, can you believe that? He said, that's where you need to start. Decide if you believe this before you move on to anything else. Decide if you believe that he died for your sins, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead. Start there. Because the most important thing is to settle the most important thing. And Paul says the most important thing is, Jesus died for our sins. And let me make it personal. Jesus died for my sins. Let me make it personal for you. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died, it's a fact of history. But why did he die? You see, here's what Paul does. Paul takes us to the first Easter and says, look into that empty tomb. And now he says, look back to Friday. He takes us to Sunday and he says, look back to Friday because it's through the lens of an empty tomb. It's through the evidence of an empty tomb that we look back to the cross and Paul says, we can say with certainty, Jesus died for our sins. That's where we begin. That Jesus died on the cross for my sin in my place. And maybe Paul was thinking about something that the prophet Isaiah wrote 700 years before the cross ever happened to Jesus. Maybe he was thinking about these words. Surely he took our pain. Listen to how personal. He bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our, my, your transgressions. He was crushed for our, my, your iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we, you, me, healed. Maybe he was thinking about words that David wrote a thousand years before Jesus ever showed up on the pages of history. When David said, the Lord is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. 
He's abounding, overflowing, overrunning with uncontainable love. He does not treat us. He does not treat you. He does not treat me as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And then I love this. This is one of my favorite things in all of the scripture. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's what Easter says that God did for you on Good Friday. That's what Easter says that God did for you on the cross. He that knew no sin became sin for you so that you could be right with God. Sin comes with a penalty and that penalty is death. And on the cross, Jesus took our penalty. He took our death so that we on Sunday could take his life. On the cross, God treated Jesus as though he had sinned, though he hadn't. So he could treat you and me as though we hadn't sinned, though we had. When we think back to the cross, when we stand at the door of an empty tomb and we think back at the cross, we look back at the cross and we see how far sin is willing to go. With all of its violence and all of its stubborn pride and arrogance and injustice and all of its hatred and jealousy, At the cross, we see how far sin will go. But through the eyes and the lens and at the foot door, at the doorway of an empty tomb, we see at the cross how far God is willing to go, how far that love is willing to go. And at the cross, we see God there winning us back, proving his love for us, carrying our sin, paying our debt, laying down his life so that he can take away our sin. He did all the heavy lifting on the cross. All that needed to be done for you and me to be right with God. He did it so that he could offer grace. No strings attached. Unconditional. No matter who. No matter what. He's offering grace, it says. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Come on back. Your heavenly Father's waiting on you. And there's no strings attached because there's never been anything that you can do to make me love you more and there's never been anything that you can do to make me love you less see at the cross we see that God was willing to give up his own son rather than to give up on you it's what we know standing at the door of an empty cross at the empty tomb We look back to the cross and we're able to say, God loves me, this I know, for the cross, it tells me so. Paul said, start there. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. And then he said, he was buried because that's what you do to dead people. That's what you do to dead things, you you bury. They stuck a spear in the side of Jesus to certify his death. And then they wrapped him in linens and covered him in spices and they placed him in a tomb and a stone was rolled in front of it. Jesus was quarantined away from life because now he was dead. But Paul says, let's not stop there. (laughs) He was buried on Friday. He was buried all day Saturday, but on Sunday, 
he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And then Jesus appeared to the disciples. He talked with them. He ate with them. And for the disciples, Easter wasn't a matter of what they believed. It was a matter of what they were witnesses of. Their friend who had died on Friday was now alive on Sunday. Oh, the difference a few days can make. It changed their life and it can change yours. If Jesus was raised from the dead, there's hope for you and hope for me. Let me give you the bottom line. Easter gives us the hope to live life and face death. No matter what life may throw at you, Easter gives you the confidence. Easter gives you the hope. Easter gives you the stability. Easter gives you what you need to face life and one day face death. Easter offers you a hope that you can't find anywhere else. Easter offers you a hope that no one and no thing can take away from you. So my question is to you, do you have that hope? Have you placed your faith in what happened the first Easter? That Jesus died for your sins? He was buried and raised from the dead. I would like to ask every single person who's watching, wherever you are, just to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, here's what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna ask you to do that just now. If you're in a living room with family, if you're with your husband, if you're with your wife, if you're with your children, I would love for you just to take a moment and maybe just hold hands. Put a hand on a shoulder or put a hand in another hand and just, let's just prepare to pray in this moment. Wherever you are, just, just take a hand or place your hand on a shoulder. If you've never trusted Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that just now. I wanna give you a simple prayer that you can pray. You don't have to pray it out loud, but you can if you want to. Just pray something like this, dear Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe the most important thing, that you died for my sins. You were buried and raised the third day. You were raised from the dead so that I could be forgiven fully, freely, forever. You loved me enough to die for me, to save me a place at your table. And right now, the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me, to change me, to give me a home in heaven, to give me hope, to live my life and one day face death. I receive your gift of grace right now in this moment by faith. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna ask you just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And if you prayed to receive Jesus just now and you're holding hands with someone or you have your hand on someone's shoulder, I just wanna ask you just to, to grip their hand a little stronger or maybe to tap them on the shoulder, to let your husband know, to let your wife know, to let your son or daughter know, to let that person you're with know that just now I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You can also go to ifollowedjesus.com and we would love for you to let us know 
that you made a decision to follow Jesus today. If you're in one of our chats on thecreekchurch.com live or on Facebook, if you would just let someone know just now, I just prayed to receive Jesus. One of our pastors, they're gonna talk to you about some of your best next steps. If you let us know that you follow Jesus today, we're gonna send you a gift. We're gonna send you a gift about what it means to follow Jesus. Don't let this first Easter like this escape an opportunity. Don't let yourself escape an opportunity to begin to follow Jesus today. So if you did, let someone know. Let me take a moment and just pray for all of us. Father, thank you for the opportunity that though we can't be together physically, we can be together in this moment. Holy Spirit, thank you for doing what we can. Thank you for an empty tomb. Thank you for hope and love, even in the midst of some of the hardest days that many have known. Speak to us through the power of the cross and an empty tomb in this moment. Do in our hearts and lives what needs to be done so that we can be more like Jesus. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. You know, I was 16 years old when I placed my faith in Jesus. And since that time, it's not been a perfect story, but it has been a better story. And if you place your faith in Jesus today, please do not expect a perfect story, but you can be confident that God's gonna write a better story in your life. That's what the church is all about. A bunch of people with imperfect stories, but God is doing something better in our lives. We're all recipients of grace and God's grace every day is making us into the men and women, the boys and girls that he wants us to be. That's our story and that's our song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood.
my 